You're listening to The Voice of Insurance. I'm Mark Gagan. Today's episode is all about another syndicate in a box. Back in episode 16, I interviewed Stuart Newcomb, the active underwriter of the Munich Reinnovation Syndicate 1840. And the discussion was all about technology and the implementation of pioneering concepts such as parametrics. Today's episode is also about the application of technology, but this time it's being applied to one of the most traditional elements of underwriting at Lloyd's, delegated authority. This route accounts for 40% of Lloyd's premiums, and so any plan to revolutionise this method of distribution will have repercussions that reverberate across the London market and beyond. Stephen Card is the founding partner and CEO of Carbon Underwriting, which has founded Syndicate 4747. A London market broking veteran, I first met Stephen 13 years ago when he was running PWS, the London broker that was acquired by THB in 2008. Stephen knows the Lloyds market inside and out, and this show and tell on what carbon underwriting is doing is a very useful primer of what the future might look like for anyone involved in the $18 billion plus global Lloyds cover holder supply chain. Enjoy the podcast. Before we get started, I'm here with Rick Lindsay, Chairman of Prime Holdings and the CEO of Claims Direct Access CDA, who've kindly supported this podcast. Rick, thanks so much for your support. Why don't you briefly tell us about the Prime Group and CDA and what they could do for our listeners? Sure. We're excited to announce that CDA is going to be marketing its claim service over in London. Prime Insurance Company has done business with Lloyd Syndicate since 1995 as a cover holder and as the TPA. So we're looking to grow the TPA business. CDA has a proven track record in all 50 states, as evidenced by Prime Insurance Company's own uh, loss ratio and success in underwriting and managing claims nationwide. So we're excited to bring that to our Lloyd's partners and offer them more flexibility by issuing prime paper when necessary and letting Lloyd's fall in behind us or sharing risk and managing claims, although we'll do it a la carte and the claim service is certainly something that I think is valuable. I believe that claims is the key to success in our business. That's really the only thing we do that adds value. Obviously, you can be a good underwriter, and if the claims falls apart, the underwriting's a waste of time. If you're a good underwriter, you need to balance the scale with good claims. Well, that's great, Rick. And just to be clear, CDA handles all of Prime's claims. Correct. Well, thank you so much for that. Thanks for your support, and we'll get on with the podcast. Thanks very much for giving us um, some time today. Why don't you start by telling us all about carbon underwriting, what it is, and how this came about? Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having us on. It's been a really interesting journey. I suppose when I retired from Charles Taylor's 2017, I'd really had about enough of insurance, and um, you get a bit jaded after a while, I think, when you've been in the business over 40 years. Uh, At least I felt that. So I didn't know quite what to do next, and was sort of sitting around doing my various volunteer roles. And I was approached by a team who were really unhappy about the way their business had been evolving, uh, particularly with respect to delegation authority. And um, when we talked about it, we were introduced through a mutual friend, it became very clear that we both felt the same way, the team and I, about the way DA business is managed in the London market, particularly in Lloyd's. We talk a lot about data in our business, particularly about delegated authority and that delegated authority model. We take it in and we're getting better at taking it in through DA SATs and other initiatives across the market. When we get it, what do we do with it? What analysis do we do? What feedback do we give from the data? And how do we shape our business with that use of that data? So that was the first point. It also goes around the annual cover holder discussion. Nine times out of 10, 
majority of binders are written by somebody who's writing a whole book of open market business and delegate authority. Now, is that enough time to spend with that cover holder really to develop the business for mutual benefit? We didn't think so. And it should be a much more frequent conversation that's happening with the cover holder. So we thought, get away from that annual conversation. Let's do it monthly, weekly, whenever's necessary. And I think the thing about going back to data again is we generally only see the data presented in one form at the end of the year. Now, how effective is that? It's too late to do anything with it, really. If there's corrective action to be taken, the damage is already done. You're looking at history. You can't actually affect the future that much. So we wanted to be able to do something earlier. And I suppose the final thing was, do you want to be just a capacity provider? Fire and forget, give them their capacity every year and then forget about them until the renewal comes around? Or do you actually want to be a true partner with them? So that was the background against which we decided to develop Carbon. And Carbon concentrates on data. We're very data-driven. We see the technology we've been able to build and adopt as a force multiplier for us. It enables us to do things smarter, faster, and more intuitively, and with fewer people. We're taking out a lot of the human interaction that's required to manage data, as even as it's currently constituted in the market. And we take people on as partners, if you like, joining with them to grow for mutual benefit through the delegated authority model. And that was it. So it was a really cover whole desire for more interaction, more support, technical, actuarial, and a belief that we could all do it better. So I'm afraid it's a very long answer, a short question there, Mark. And obviously your carbon underwriting is uh, one of the early adopters of the syndicate in a box scheme. So what was it about the syndicate in a box that got you excited and wanted you to apply? I think in the first instance, uh, as most people, when you go to lawyers, in our situation, it's really to control our own destiny not to have to go cap in hand every year to our capacity providers looking for the continuous support. So controlling our own destiny, I think, is very important. The attraction of Lloyds in particular is the licenses. The territories we choose to operate in are diverse from Canada to Australia, Europe, and therefore to have a company that is licensed in those territories is very difficult to find. The big global players are clearly established there and generally do not devolve their or give their pen away to people like us. They're looking for a niche player. So Lloyd's was definitely attractive to us and having the A rating, of course. And we understand this market as well. It's one that's very familiar to all of us having worked in the Lloyd's environment all our working lives. You say about wanting to keep control, but at the same time, I suppose, stepping into Lloyd's, other people would say the exact opposite, wouldn't they? They would say, you're stepping into Lloyd's and now you are under the control of the franchise board. We are under the control of the franchise board, yes. But it all comes down to... Your underwriting, really. Your underwriting is what you put up as a plan. And that plan is approved by the franchise board. And as long as you stick to your plan and deliver according to your plan, what is there to be afraid of? We don't have any fear. We actually believe in what we're doing fundamentally. Otherwise, we'd never have taken this step. Number one, in creating our own business. And two, becoming part of the Lloyd's market. So no, we don't see any fear in that at all. It's understanding what is required of us and then delivering according to the plan that we've put forward, we've created, put forward, and has been approved by the Franchise Board. So no, we don't have any great fear over that at all. Because if you fairly fail anyway, and with this you've got someone else measuring whether you're succeeding or failing anyway. Yes, I think it's one of those things that it's just a confidence level. I think if, you, if you're going to approach lawyers, you have to be confident in your own abilities to deliver on your plan. I've seen a lot of people over the years who've been very confident some might even say overconfident and eventually you will trip up but i think you know, a level of confidence is absolutely required but not to be too cocky about it 
And we're very confident about it. I hope that we don't come across as being cocky. We believe in this market absolutely fundamentally. It's been a mother to us over many, many years, all of the team. And we just feel that we can add something of real value to this market and to help develop this conversation about delegated authority, which is such a vital part of our business. You know, when it's approaching between 45 and 50% of Lloyd's income, and we all believe, including a lot of people that we've talked to in senior positions in the market, that delegated authority business can be done so much better. So we want to drive that conversation. We definitely don't have all the answers. Absolutely not. We would never be arrogant enough to suggest that. But we think we're making a pretty good start. Let's go into the modus operandi. You've implied that you're going to be much, you're much more of a hands-on paper provider to a cover holder, wherever they are. And presumably you've got, through technology or other things, you've got a much more direct connection and a more live connection with what they're putting down, what lines they are putting down at any given moment. Is that right? Yes. I mean, I think it's probably worth just revisiting, you know, what the silicon in the box criteria are, because they're quite important and fundamental to what we do and how we do it. It has to be a creative business alloy, so we can't just keep recycle existing business in the market. It has to be profitable, clearly, for everybody's benefit. We can't add to the LCM5 peak exposure, so we're not looking to add catastrophe exposure to this in any so shape. LCM5 is, is one of the Lloyd's... Um, Lloyd's claims metric. Um, it's the, uh, the, the, the main five catastrophe exposures. Right. So wind and quake, which, all of which are the obvious ones. Cynic expenses not to exceed 35% in year three, by year three. Short tail or demonstrable by data, if it's long tail, that it is manageable and as short tail as possibly can be. And the great thing is, of course, it's the three-year business plan, which is pre-agreed. are subject to KPIs, which are annually reviewed. But our business model is absolutely with all of these in mind. So we can't concentrate on cover holders that write SME business in the first instance. Now, the SME market is very, very broad and it's far less competitive than big risk-managed accounts. So the spread that's available within a territory is multiples of what is available in the open market, I think. And within the territory, we can also transfer programs that work from one territory to another. So you can add value with the model that way. But we do this with cover holders who really share the vision, who want to be true partners. As I say, there are those big you know, national MGAs across the globe who will just have a huge pool of capacity. We don't want to be parties with people like that. We lead everything we do. We will always write a lead line because we ensure data integrity at that point and control of that data flow. We will always work with cover who share their vision about expanding the business on a profitable basis and understand the model where we will work with them. So we anticipate having underwriters, our underwriters will have three to five cover holder relationships maximum. And their job day to day is to just concentrate on making those businesses profitable by working with those cover holders. So it is very much more hands on. And it does require the cover holders to genuinely buy into that. If they don't, then there are other markets they can go to, which is absolutely fine. You know, we're not greedy. There's a big market out there for us to play. In. So we, we can be choosy about who we deal with. And we've been very fortunate. We've got some great cover holders we absolutely love and who buy into this concept. You're writing a lead line or are you looking to write 100% of an MGA if you can? Where we can write 100%, we'll write, we'll write 100%. Uh, clearly, we're cognizant of uh, premium income limitations. We're still a very small syndicate. I mean, for this year, I mean, the numbers are all out there anyway. I'm writing 15 million gross written premium. 
it's a tiny, tiny book of business for this, you know, this stub year, if you like, the six months. And we're looking to write 45 million next year and going to 65 the year after. So as our cover holders grow, we may not be able to encompass all of their income aspirations. But what we'd like to do is stick them as the leader and to build a following market who buy into the carbon way of managing these books of business. And to that extent, we're very open with them about how we manage the business and the interaction we have with our cover holders and everybody in the transaction chain as well. And what's the long-term ambition of the business? Would it be to, for one, in a few years, to graduate to become a full syndicate at Lloyd's? And also, what about different classes and different territories? I'd be interested in to know what your plans are. We love the syndicate of Boxing History. It's, it's got to start it. I think as, as a as lead-in, an introduction to the Lloyd's market, I think it's really good. Very impressed with the way Lloyd's have actually executed it. The support we've had from across all the people involved in that has been superb. Couldn't fault it. But yes, ideally, we would like to become a full syndicate. And we have the ability within the syndicate box framework to, we could do it uh, next year, possibly the year after, maybe more sensible. But yes, certainly by the time the third year is closed, we would expect to be well on the way to becoming a full syndicate. In terms of class of business, you mentioned casualty, international casualty. We're 50-50 casualty and property in the SME sector, still very focused on SME. We would anticipate other class of business coming on board. There are certain classes, there may be some professional lines that we would consider writing, very focused again. And those were sit adjacent to those businesses that were writing already, still folks in those areas. We may look at doing some personal accident business, perhaps. Again, it's a market that there's a huge amount of capacity, is still struggling, I think, in terms of rating adequacy, but aren't we all? But there are some classes which are struggling more than others that we would clearly avoid. But no, we just want to build out. And when we find those niches, find the right underwriting talent to fulfill the ambition that we have in those niches, then we'll expand. So I don't want to be prescriptive and say, we are going to do this and we're definitely going to do that. We're not going to do that because we're open. The model is a very open one that we wish to develop into other classes. That's all I can really be sure about at this point. Would you keep that ratio of uh, low single digits relationships per underwriter? Would it be that you're just going to grow or grow your number of relationships and also have those relationships be ones that the underlying MGAs that you're supporting are are growing themselves? Yes, I I think this is a fundamental part of our business model is not overstretching our people. That's why I say we really absolutely believe that to write delegated authority business better, you have got to devote time and attention to it. And by writing a large book of open market business, you can't do that. Now, it doesn't mean that at some point in the future, we will not write open market business, but the delegated authority part will be those five relationships per underwriter with that entire focus. Reading your literature, you've spoken about technology and data right from the start of this interview. You've got something called graphene. I don't know much about it other than graphene, I know, is a very smart version of carbon. It sounds like a very good name. Can you explain a bit more about how that works? And I presume this is one of your USPs. Graphene is all about data, Mark. It's as simple as that. We're a very data-driven business. The issue we found when we started the business was that people send data in. They may send it in as a direct feed. They may send it in as border. But however we consume it, it's what we do with the data which is really important. That was fundamental to us. So we've seen border come in, data come in to an underwriting team, but it generally goes into a back office somewhere. The underwriter sees it at the end of the year when he looks at the contract and thinks, Okay, what well, the results been like for the past year? 
Well, that's historical. There's very little you can do to affect that performance with that data. So we wanted to turn that on its head, get the data in quickly, cleanse it, represent it down to individual risk levels so we can segment it properly and see what is actually affecting the performance of a portfolio in as live a reality as we can. Now, we recognise that not all cover holders can provide an API to actually suck the data out of their system directly into ours as they're writing it. So we're agnostic about that. What we'd like as being part of our journey with the cover holder is that they work towards having the API and we will help them in terms of adopting technology that will allow them to do so. So getting the data in, cleanse the data, break it down to individual risk level, and then add in the claims data. And what we're doing currently is sharing that data with cover holders so they see their performance as they're providing it to us, whether it be in real time or via Bordereau as and when that's available. And we show them what our underwriting analysis is and any improvements we think that can be made. And bear in mind that we're having these conversations with them on a weekly basis with each cover holder. Because our underwriters, they're not bogged down with you know, writing several hundred open market risks a year. They probably have four to five cover hold relationships. So that's all they concentrate on. So it's a really in-depth and personal discussion with our cover holders about how we can improve their performance for mutual benefit. So graphene allows us to do that. We also share that data from graphene with all of the people in our reinsurance chain. So it'd be our funds and Lloyds providers, our reinsurers, and of course the brokers who produce the business for us. And that's pretty much it. And do you have any ambition to make this something that you could use pre-bind? Because this sounds like it's mostly, it's post-bind, it's business that has already been written. Yes, Mark, that, that's exactly it. Because what graphene allows the cover holders to do currently is to look at past performance, do the analysis of that and say, okay, so these are the actions I took, this was the outcome, and then to change their assessment of the risk and underwriting the risk based on that. Now, clearly, the more data we have in real time from that cover holder, the more real time analysis we can do, and therefore direct feedback in terms of underwriting. We're working with a tech company at the moment to build an interactive rating program. So rather than just giving a piece of paper out, electronically of course, with rates on it, we'll actually have an interactive rating matrix, which will automatically rate the risk, and that which we can change in real time after discussion with the cover holder to give effect to those outcomes that we think will improve the performance of the book. Something I should have asked you earlier was delegated authority businesses very often or mostly brokered interloids. What's your relationship with brokers? Would you rather have those direct relationships with those cover holders? Oh, we have great relationships with brokers. I was a broker for most of my working life, as you well know. So I would definitely want, not want to cut the broker out of the thing. There's no question about that. We have a very lean expense model and we expect everybody else to adding value in the insurance chain. So I think as long as the broker is adding value to the transaction, there is absolutely a question the broker has an important role to play. Is it more of an introduction or would you be, see them operationally being part of that data flow as well? I go back to my comment, as long as everybody's adding value in the chain, they should be remunerated accordingly. Absolutely no issue with that at all, Mark. And there are some brokers who are very good at adding real value and the cover holder really wants them to be involved because they value their inter interaction. And there are others who are less so. It's a broad spectrum, as you well know, in the London market. And um, we love the brokers. They give us business. I think of all the business we've got, two thirds of it has come through brokers. Some direct relationships. 
we'll always have that direct contact with the cover holders, absolutely. I'm going to ask you more about very long-term ambition. As a syndicate, you can run your own capital. Is that a long-term ambition? Yes. I think, I think alignment with capital is absolutely essential. We want to align ourselves as close as possible with our capital providers. So we are planning to set up our own corporate member in the very near future just to do that. I think not to would be sending out completely the wrong signals and we're just operating another MGA at that point. So what's the value we're really adding? And fundamentally, we actually believe in what we're doing and we want to share in that. And I think to use your expression, to eat our own cooking. Yeah. And so would you ideally in long term switch that paper provider to being a corporate capital provider at Lloyd's to be run alongside you? Good question. Can't give you an answer on that one, Mark. Or does it not make much difference? Ultimately, it's still someone supporting you one it, way or another. Capital. At the end of the day, as long as we have the capital to support our business model, we're very happy. Whether it be trade providers, external capital, or our own paper, we're agnostic about it. What we want are people who believe in us and believe in the story that we tell and the delivery that we're going to provide in terms of profitability for them. Yeah, so I suppose if you're making the money, they should be happy and they should keep coming back for more, I presume. One would think, one would hope. But you know, circumstances change for all of us. Absolutely, people's appetites change and, and things. But anyway, one strategic question in that, if you're going to be eating more of your own cooking, that's good for alignment. Obviously, it's very nice for everyone to see that um, if things aren't doing well, you're hurting as well as they are uh, when they're providing capital to you. But at the same time, at what point did they switch and think, oh, goodness me, Carbon's now a competitor of mine because they're in this game as well as a carrier? Well, you know, it's a very interesting question that because I think because we're specialising in a particular niche, I would like to think that uh, capital providers, when they see what we do and how we do it, would buy into that model. And we have certainly found through the last four months, as we've been talking to people in the market and externally, they absolutely get it and love the way that we are able to work with our cover holders through the medium of graphing. And we would love for them to actually come on board and say, no, 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 I tell you what, we will work with you in terms of writing delegated authority business. Let us give you more capacity. That would be absolutely ideal as far as we're concerned, because we don't want to control the world. We don't, we don't need to be writing 100% of every risk on our own paper. We believe we could do this perhaps through a consortium where people actually say, you know what, why do we reinvent with wheel? These guys have actually got it off pat. Why don't we support them in that? We'd be very open to those conversations. That's the conversation we wish to encourage across the market to make it less competitive. Presumably because you're a niche, then it's not something that, um, that you can own this kind of niche, I suppose, but it's never going to be a life-threatening thing for anybody else if it's, because it's a niche. Absolutely, yeah. No, we want to stick to anything. We're, we think we're pretty good at this and we just want to demonstrate that to others in this market and hopefully bring them on this, um, this journey with us. Okay, we're in a hardening market or a hard market. People can never quite bring themselves to say it's a hard market because they don't want to jinx it, I think. Within that, delegated underwriting businesses are in a bit of a differentiation point, in a bit of a squeeze. How do the best MGAs survive in these tough markets when it's difficult to renew the paper that's backing them? From personal experience over the years, uh, working with cover holders as a broker, the good cover holders who stick to their knitting and do what they do best are the ones who survive and prosper. Very simple, very simple formula. Stick to what you know, and that will be recognised. I think there's no doubt about it. I think for us, we've chosen partners that have stuck their knitting, absolutely know the business they're in, have ambitions to grow, and do it in a controlled fashion. 
there will be those who will come into the market, uh, see it as an opportunity. It'll be in and out. We're not. We're going to be consistent with our cupholders. That's why we choose our partners so well. But the hard market has got to be great. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that we've been crying out for. I mean, the rate adequacy across the market is way below par. I think what we're seeing at the moment in terms of rate increases, particularly the areas where we're working, are fair and realistic. Do they get us back to the levels we were at perhaps you know, sort of 20 years ago? Probably not, but it's a good start. I think that we will see more and more, hopefully, strengthening in what the franchise board is trying to achieve in the market. So you're not going to be beating up your cover holders. You're more likely supporting them through thick and thin and making sure that they're, of course, driving that original rate through on, on their business. Yes, indeed. And I think one of the things that we've seen is that we're able to drive rate increase because we agree the rates you know, with our cover holders in consultation. We don't just hand them down as tab- on tablets of stone. And we're seeing between 20 and 35% increases, depending on class, territory, type of trade, and so on. But 20% is absolute minimum. And we know that is what they are going to apply, because if they don't, they will lose their binding authority. So we know that that is real and is going to happen. Now, interestingly, across the Lloyds market, I think you're finding that we're going to be seeing an average, maybe 5 to 10% increase in capacity. Yes, there are some high-profile cases out there they're going to be looking for. They're looking for increased capacity. But the message from Lloyds has been very, very clear. Stick to knitting, do what you do, and as and when you're seeing real increase coming through the book of business, come back to us and have a conversation. We think that's fair and reasonable, but we know what we're getting in our sector. We can drive that through our business model, which is slightly different when you're writing open market business. It's also slightly different when you're writing a 15 going to 45 million book rather than a billion going to 1.2 billion. Slightly different criteria. But yes, we feel very confident that the hard market is something which we weren't expecting. Our business model was written prior to hard market. And if you think about it, we've actually created a syndicate, done everything from all the meetings with lawyers, with the franchise board and everything else that we've had to go through. We've done all the capital raising, reinsurance placement, the whole nine yards of setting up a new business in Lloyd's during lockdown. Now, I think that's pretty damn good. And we think the hard market, that's happened. That business plan was written at the beginning, before we even knew about COVID. And the impact that's going to have on our business model is quite substantial. Because, as I said, what we predicted, we're going to be seeing rises of at least 20% across that. So the only thing is, we may have a constraint in terms of our premium income for next year as a result of that. So you're seeing an uplift from COVID in terms of rating it? Is it given things an even more of an extra push if they didn't already need it? Definitely. I think prior to COVID, there was a push for rate increase. Absolutely no question about it. Five to 10% was pretty good. Seems pretty good in, that, in those terms. Now it's 20% plus. That's what we're seeing. And it's partly driven by capacity as well, because there are a number of serious players who've pulled out of certain key markets in Canada, Australia, where we operate, and in Europe as well. So that's great. Uh, the danger is, of course, that uh, other players will come in and there's been a lot of capacity raising going on. Will it undermine it? Yes, to a degree. The sector we're in, the SME, tends to be less competitive, less of a focus on that. So, yeah, we're keeping an open mind at the moment. And um, where do you think the best opportunities are at the moment? Uh, what things for your next year's planning are getting you most excited? Well, our next year's planning has been pretty much done. And we just, as I said, Mark, we're just sticking to our knitting. We have a three-year plan, which has been agreed with Lloyd's. We fit our KPIs for this year. We're now concentrating doing that for next year. We're a small entity. We are different in what we do, 
but we have to prove ourselves worthy of becoming a Lloyd's syndicate and being the first, somebody who's come out of the, the MJ market, if you like, as we have into this market, which we think is probably the real target market for the syndicate of box. We've got to prove ourselves. So that's what we're going to focus on, Mark. Simple as that. Well, great. I haven't got any more questions, Stephen. So unless there's anything else that uh, you think we haven't covered that you'd like to summarize, I'd like to very much thank you for giving me your time. And I hope you'll come back for an update, perhaps as you, as you get closer to being a fully fledged Lloyd syndicate. No, well, thank you, Mark. Thanks for the opportunity. We've, you know, I've enjoyed the chat. It's been nice to voice some of the, uh, some of the things we've been doing over the last couple of years. And um, yeah, the one thing I would add to anybody who's starting a new business in this market, the two things I've learned. One is when you're starting, it'll take you twice as long. And secondly, it'll cost you twice as much as you expected. But on that note, thank you very much, Mark. Good talk. Oh, I, can, I can vouch for that with the voice of insurance <laughs> as well, Stephen. So thank you so much. Thanks very much. And we'll, we'll speak to you soon. Keep, and keep in touch. And good luck with everything. Great. Thank you very much. Cheers, Mark. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, don't forget to subscribe or leave a like or a review or recommendation on whatever podcast platform you used to access this program. These really help get the word out. Thanks for listening. And once again, big thanks to today's supporter, Claims Direct Access. Voice of Insurance is produced by me, Mark Gagan. Music was written by Anna Gagan and produced by Carlos Gagan. Check out more podcasts and written comment pieces at www.thevoiceofinsurance.com.